Just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask you to be with us as we study your word. Guide and lead us, Lord, and just thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 27. Remember last week we were, or actually two weeks ago, last week we had the, the uh, concert. <laughs> uh, two weeks ago we were talking about David having his second chance to kill Saul. Saul was asleep or in the middle of his army. David went in, took, his, took uh, Saul's spear and his water and, and challenged him and asked what, they, you know, what he was doing, who was giving him bad information. Saul ends the chapter saying that uh, you know, he's, made, he's been making bad decisions. He shouldn't be chasing David. He's not going to chase David anymore, and he leaves. And we start verse, uh, chapter 27. Verse 1, and David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more on any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose, and he passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Mahok, the king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, and he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoab the Jezreelite, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. All right, so we look at this in uh, verse 1. David said in his heart, you know, in his inner man, you know, that one day I'm going to be caught. It says perish in the King James, but really it's caught or captured by, by Saul. Because uh, it was only a matter of time. I mean, you can't just keep running away from the entire army of Israel. And, you know, and it's very true, and it's been said over and over. If the government wants to get you, they're going to find you. Okay? The only way you get a reason you get away from the government is because they're really not wanting you. you know, even if they send a small amount of people that... The government has the capacity to send more people, more resources at you. And David's going like, you know, Saul's come close a number of times with the 3,000 men he's been using. And all of a sudden he goes, I need to get, basically, I need to get out of Dodge. I need to get out of the country where Saul can't get to me. And he decides that he's going to go to see Achish. I remember a couple chapters ago he tried this same thing, but it wasn't to Gath. He need, yeah, it was to Gath as well. And I don't know what makes him think he's, that the Philistines are a great place to go to. But yet this time it's going to be successful. He's going to be accepted, probably because he's not trying to hide who he is on this one. He's going to go and he's going to really stand before him. And so he says, I need to get out quickly. Uh, and it says that I should speedily escape. And this means, and in Hebrew, it literally is escape, escape. <laughs> okay, which the double emphasis of the repeated word, you know, they, they translate for us speedily. You know, he's going to get out. And his thinking is, if I'm out of Israel, Saul will quit chasing me. Uh, because Saul's not going to chase him into another country, which is how people get away from the country that they're, trying to get away from, they'd go someplace that doesn't have an extradition treaty and hide out in another country. <laughs> and that's basically what Saul, uh, Paul, uh, David's going to do. He's going to go to the Philistines, Saul's enemy. And this is probably going to work simply because 
As far as Saul and David are concerned, and the world's concerned, David and Saul are enemies. So when he shows up with the Philistines, they're going, oh, okay, the one that Saul doesn't like, and he, he knows David's reputation as a soldier, as a general. When David goes out to battle, he wins. Saul and David are at odds. So Achish is probably thinking, oh, I've got David. I can use him in battle. And, uh, and plus David comes with an entire small army. He comes with 600 men. Uh, so this is a big deal. And, and he says, I'm going to escape. And David arose and went with his 600 men to Achish. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath. And Gath is on the northern part of Philistia, the Philistia, and it's one of the major cities of Philistia. Okay, It's where uh, Goliath was from. It's one of the major cities. The other ones you would recognize were Ekron and Ashdod and Ascalon. If you remember when the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and they sent it to all the different cities and they had all kinds of diseases and plagues every time the Ark came to their, to their places. Well, Gath is one of the major cities of this. And David goes and he dwells at Gath with Achish and his men. And David has his two wives and all the other people have their wives and their families. And it says in verse 4, And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. So, so that was what David said. I'm going to go to Gath and Saul's going to go chasing after me. And it turned out that that is exactly what happened. Uh, probably Saul was not worried about him because if he's in Gath, he's not going to uprise to be king. And this is what, remember, this is what set off this whole process is Saul has been convinced that David is going to displace him as king. And he's, and in that convincing, he has convinced himself that David is actively trying to go against him. And this is the problem with our sin so often. We start thinking things that we probably would do ourselves, And Saul was probably that way. He goes, well, if I was in David's place and the prophet had anointed me and the people were really excited about, about me, then I would revolt against, against him. So he must, therefore, be planning the same thing. And this is one of the things I've learned over the years is usually when people have a problem with a sin, they project that sin and that motive on everybody else. And you see it. If somebody's a thief, they expect everybody, and you hear them, everybody steals. If somebody has a problem with lying, they believe that everybody lies, and you'll hear them say, well, everybody lies. It's no big deal. And they expect that even when they're being told the truth, they're expecting that they're being lied to. And this, I believe, was what Saul's problem was. He believed that David was trying to take his kingdom, even though every time David turned around, he showed he wasn't. And David on two occasions said, hey, I could have killed you and I didn't. Saul, I'm not going to touch you. I'm waiting for God to take you out. And the problem with living in sin is that you don't ever trust anybody else. Uh, and this is the problem that Saul is going to have. And finally, he says, okay, David's out of my reach. He's not, he's not trying to get my kingdom. He can't get the people on his side. He's out of the country. And he decides, okay, I'm going to leave David alone. Now, this is going to give David a little bit of breathing room, a little bit of freedom. And he, right now, though, he's living in a heathen city. All right. 
Gath worships idols. They don't worship God. And David is becoming friendly with the king who is probably going to be expecting him to participate in this because this is what's later on going to get Solomon in trouble. Because remember, remember, if you've read Solomon, he started out very righteous for God. Then he had a little bit of problem with women. Uh, just, just a thousand women between his wives and his concubines. And then he started building them temples for their gods. And you can almost picture what it was. Oh, Solomon, honey, uh, you know, I really don't want to do anything with your God and I have no place to worship. Would you please build me a temple for your God, for my God? And he probably said no several times and then finally to get some peace built <laughs> temples for all these women. And then eventually you know that it went, well, Solomon, you never come to my, my temple to worship. Why don't you come at least once? And before long, he's worshiping other gods. And it all started with this downward progression. And so we see David in a bad place right now, living under the protection of a lost person, not a worshiper of God, and a very dangerous place for him to be at. All right, so this sets our stage. And uh, verse 5, And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in your eyes, let them give me a, a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should, I, why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? Then Achish gave him Ziglag that day. Therefore, Ziglag pertains to the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. All right, so David kind of probably is aware that he's not in a great place. He's under the careful watch of, of Achish. Everything he does is being watched. And probably rightfully so, Achish isn't going to really trust David. Okay, David's supposed to be the enemy of Saul, but, and he's living in his town, he's living from what David says here, at the palace. Okay, encouraging, you know, and he goes to Achish and says, you know, hey, if everything's going good, you know, could you, could you just let me have a little, little, little town out in the country? Uh, you know, and he, and he kind of butters up Achish at the same time, so why, you know, and I'm just a nobody, why should I, why should I be eating at your table, Achish? Why should you be taking care of me? Just give me a little town. Give me a little town, a little place to stay. And I'm sure David's thinking, you know, I'll have a little more freedom this way as well. All right. And Achish is buttered up. He thinks it's good. And he gives him the town of Ziglag. Now, Ziglag is a town in Israel. It's in the northern part of the, of the tribe of Simeon. Uh, and it says it belongs to the kings from that point on. And right now it is conquered territory, which is why Ziglag gives it to him. Now, if I had been Ziglag and I wanted to keep David away from Saul and away from giving me trouble, I would have given him something down around Gaza or around, or around Egypt, not close to Israel. But David has been playing the part of, of an ally for him. And we don't know how far he's gone up on, at this point. Later on, we're going to find out he, that Achish trusts David implicitly, wants to bring him in a big battle against Saul. And he's delivered by Achish's army to, you know, army uh, commander saying, no, we don't want this guy. He'll turn against us in the battle against Saul. Uh, and we'll get to that 
few chapters <laughs> down the road here, but uh, but he gives him a, a zigzag, and the name of zigzag literally means winding, and it's not never been a large town, but it's going to belong to David at this point. And then it makes this very curious thing that David lived in Philistia for one year and four months, uh, which for David is pretty good. He gets to live in one place for a year and four months because we look back over his time, and he's been pretty much on the move since he's been you know, made a son-in-law of the king and, and then the singer for the king and, and military leader for the king. He has not apparently lived anywhere for any length of time and uh, you know, it's kind of funny when you say the year and four months, you, know, you say that to some people and that says, is that all? Well, then when you're somebody who's moved around all your life, you look at that and say, oh, wow, he, he was pretty steady. Now, I remember my dad, we moved every, every three years, we had a big move and, and usually within the three years, we'd move to a different house every year you know, during that period of time. So when I grew up, I went to 12 different schools and 12 years of public education. And a couple of them I went to for a year and a half. <laughs> you know, there were a lot of times where I'd only be there for a year and uh, for half a year. And you know, so I think this is kind of telling. It says David had had a place to stay for a year and a half, or almost a, a year and a quarter, and just kind of tags that in there. You know, he's at peace. He gets to settle down. He gets to develop the farms and the and the herds and whatever else they did in that year year and a quarter. Uh, David's kind of settling in for the long haul. Because he's, David, from all these times, remember, David has always been patient. I will wait for God to take Saul out. And, you know, and he's told his, told his men, you know, perhaps Saul will die in battle. And then remember the last time he said this, you know, he might die in battle or he might die of old age, but I'm going to wait for God to take him out. And so he's ready. He's ready to live in Ziegleg for, for a long period of time. And he's coming down it into a very peaceful existence at this point in time. But, you know, he's biding his time to see what's going to happen. You know, one thing we can know about David, at least until he got into power, he was a very patient person. And he listened, listened for God. And, you know, one of the things I love about looking at somebody like David, and David is shown with all of his problems and everything later on, but David is just like so many Christians. We get saved, we get on fire for God, and we listen to God and we do the things he says, and how easy it is for us to then start kind of sitting back and starting doing things on our own and doing things that aren't godly and trying to justify it. Well, you know, God, you know, I, you, know you were just acting a little slow and I needed something to happen and we just tried to make this happen. And this is something we need to be very careful of. It is very easy, and I find myself doing it frequently, going to do something and realize, why did I do something so stupid? You know, it costs financially, costs time-wise, cost, you know, might cost reputation if you're not, you know, not careful at all. But you know, it's so easy to do something by sight and not by faith. And you go, and we'll justify it. Well, God, you know I needed that really big house for the for the family to be able to stay at, and you know, and you know, oh well, you know, it is really expensive. Now I got to stay at this other job or do this or do that because now I'm tied up with all this other stuff. And you know, we need to be so careful to just wait 
on God sometimes. Uh, now, the flip side of that is sometimes we can get so lazy waiting for God that we decide we're not going to do anything. This is the fun thing sometimes about walking with God. There was a time in my life where I was way too busy and God told me to just rest. It was real hard for me to rest, but I finally started resting. Then when God was saying, get back to work, it's like, no, I'm having too much fun resting. You told me to rest. Yeah. When somebody comes up and drags me by my ears to, <laughs> to, to put me into a job, then I'll go do it. You know? and it's, you know, we need to be very careful to listen to God all the time. If he says rest, we rest. If he says go, we go. And this is one of the hardest things about walking the Christian life is just being patient and listening because God talks in a still small voice. And the times he's talked, I've known that, you know, at least when I look back, I know that he's been talking. You know, and then he has to get out the, the whip in the chair, the, the two by four, and pound me over the head a couple of times sometimes and get me to move. I think I'm getting better. I'm not, not as stubborn as I used to be. You know, hopefully you all are in that same place where you're getting less stubborn as you go along. But, you know, we all have that point where sometimes we just say, God, I don't want to. I don't want to do this. I'm just happy doing whatever. And it could be some service that we're doing for God. And that's something that we need to be careful of as well because sometimes we get so busy doing sometimes lots of things that are good and we don't do what God is actually asking us to do. We get busy doing the good and leave the best behind. And that is a trick that Satan will use on us. His first goal is to keep us from getting saved. All right? When that, when that doesn't, doesn't work, his next goal is to get people to sit on a pew and not do anything. And churches are full of people who may or may not be saved that don't do anything. All churches. doesn't matter what church it is. The good churches have them. The bad churches have lots of them. Uh, you know, those who aren't preaching the gospel will have those. Satan's goal is if he can't keep you from being saved, if he can just get you sitting there, he doesn't care. If you're not doing anything, you're not giving, you're not serving, you're not much better than the lost person as far as damage to the kingdom. If you really start to get busy with God and he can't stop you from getting busy, his next best goal is to get you too busy. Get you doing lots of stuff. Because what's going to happen when you do lots of stuff? One of two things. You're either going to burn yourself out and become a pew warmer because you're just tired. It was like, and you hear people, well, I served God and I, it was just so tough and so hard. I just don't want to do it anymore. I've heard that. Well, how about if we find what God wants you to do and just do the one? You know, don't try to do everything. Because I've been there doing lots and lots of stuff. The other thing that happens is if you don't burn out, you don't do anything the way you should. And if you've ever been really, really busy, you know what that is. Okay, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing everything fairly good, but nothing is being done really good. Because I'm so busy, so, so stretched thin that I can't get anything done. A lot of times managers and businesses can get this way. They get so busy trying to run everything that nothing gets run correctly. You know, whatever they're in, that moment gets done, but the rest of it kind of falls by the wayside. And, you know, if they just learn to delegate, the people they delegate to may not be able to do everything as well as they can, but because somebody's doing everything, everything probably gets done better <laughs> than trying to do it yourself. And this is why we need to be careful. What is God 
asked you to do. Whatever he's asked you to do, do it. And do it wholeheartedly. And if God gives you two or three jobs, there are people who are capable of doing two or three jobs. Maybe four, five, six, you know, whatever. But if you start getting stressed out when you're working for God and it seems to be too much drudgery, you might want to look at it and say, God, what do I need to give up? Because the other side of that is, if you're doing somebody else's job in the church, and they look and say, well, God, I really thought you wanted me to do whatever it might be. But it seems somebody's doing it. I guess I'm not needed for that. And they either go to a different church or sit on the, sit on the pew and don't do anything. Because what they thought they were supposed to do and might have supposed to have been doing it is filled. So we want to be very careful about listening to God for what we should be doing. And this is something that is tough sometimes. But you know, if you're enjoying what you're doing, one thing I've learned over the years, if I'm enjoying what I'm doing and it doesn't seem like I'm being, being overworked, I'm probably doing exactly what God wants me to do. Does that mean I'm always going to like every bit of it? No, it, it's still work. Okay, There's always times when you're doing something where it just isn't what you want to be doing that day and you just have to do it because it has to be done. But if you always feel that way, you might want to look back and say, okay, God, am I too busy doing something else and this is what I'm supposed to do and I'm too burnt out? Am I not supposed to be doing this? And start listening to him. And the one thing I have learned over the years, and it's something that I have seen over and over again, when God takes somebody out of a job in the church and you look at him and say, well, God, how are we ever going to replace that person? It's amazing that when he puts a new person or two or three people into that position, how far it goes. Sometimes it changes as an entire direction and, become, and grows. Sometimes you know, more than one person takes different parts of it and it grows. But it is amazing what God does because if it's truly God doing the work through that person, then he can replace that person because the one doing the work is still there. It's still God doing the work. And this is so important. When God moves somebody on, I kind of get excited. Okay, God, where, what's going to happen now? You know, yes, sometimes I don't like losing some of the people I've lost over the years. All right, God, that person was a really good teacher because I used to be in charge of Sunday school so a lot. I'm going, okay, God, who, 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 who are we getting in now? <laughs> what's going to happen now? Yeah. But we need to be ready to take that faith step. It's, it even happens in churches when pastors move on. Sometimes when a pastor's been very successful and he moves on, people are going, wow, what's going to happen to the church now? Well, if the pastor was walking with God, it's going to grow. It's going to continue growing. It's going to continue moving forward. And if not, then something was wrong in the first place. And either the people weren't ready for, the pre for a new pastor to take over that was godly, and God said, okay, we're moving on and writing Ichabod over the, over the door of the church. Does anybody remember what Ichabod means? The glory has departed. You know, the last thing you want on your church doors is Ichabod. Yeah. <laughs> uh, God is no longer here. And there's a lot of churches where God is not welcome in their church. Uh, and, and they call themselves churches. I don't know why they would call themselves churches, but God is not really welcome. And remember, that was what uh, Eli's daughter-in-law called her son when her husband died in the battle, Ichabod, the glory has departed. Eli, his two sons, all died at that time. And... Uh, 
try to draw everything back together again so we can keep track of all these things. So, so David was there for a year, four months, and I don't know what it is, but Achish is going to come to trust David implicitly. So I don't know if he sends David on some little raiding missions and stuff every once in a while, but he's going to trust David, and we're going to see in the next part you know, that, where that trust level is. All right? So verse 8. And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites and the Gezrites and the Amalekites, for those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land, as it goes to Sur, even into the land of Egypt. And David smote the land and left nothing, neither man nor woman, alive, and took the sheep and the ox and the goat and the donkeys and the camels and the apparel and returned and came to Achish. And Achish said, Where have you made a road today? And David said, Against the south of Judah and against the south of Jeremelites and against the south of Kenites. And David saved neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Gath, saying, Lest they should tell on us, saying, So did David, and so will his manner be so will be his manner all the while he dwells in the country of the Philistines. And Achish believed David, saying, He hath made the people of Israel utterly to abhor him, therefore he shall be my servant forever. All right. So David and his men attack towns that are in the southern part of the Philistia, uh, Philistia toward Egypt. All right? Uh, most of these aren't on the map that you have, but they're all, they're all places to the, to the south. All right? So he has gone out and he's attacked the southern part of Philistia and the Amalekites that are left and he goes out with his men and he kills everybody. Every man, woman is killed. And he takes all the animals. Now the one thing he takes that I'm kind of surprised about is he takes their clothing as well. Because the clothing is going to be a dead giveaway. If Achish was to examine the clothing that he brings back with him, it would be a dead giveaway that he didn't go to Israel. Because the, the, the uh, clothing customs and everything would be totally different. Uh, and if you've done any looking around at different things, you can tell this person's wearing clothes from the United States or from Mexico or, or uh, Canada or Germany or France. Or, you know, we, may, we may not know exactly where some of the clothing may come from, but we know one thing a lot of times, it's not American. Okay? Now, if you were to go overseas, they would know the same thing. It's not German, it's not English, it's not French. Yeah. Uh, they might even recognize it as American because of all the TV and everything that, that we export. That's the one thing that makes me surprised when I read this list of what David takes. Uh, but he takes everything and he kills all the people. So during this year, David is getting wealthy. All right, And he's not getting wealthy raiding Israel, like he keeps telling the king. David has a problem with uh, David has not been very truthful in most of the places. <laughs> We've talked about that several times. You know, the David has no problem bending the truth, uh, outright lying in most cases. <laughs> lied when he pretended to be crazy when he was with Achish the last time. Uh, he lied to 
to uh, the priest, which caused them to die. You know, he's he's he lying is David's penchant. When everything doesn't when when it doesn't look the easy way out, he'll lie. He can lie when he had that that lady's husband died. Later on, when we get to Uriah, he's going to lie there. You know, David has no problem with lying. Uh, David has no problem with killing. Okay, David has. You know, David is. You know, as much as he loves God and serves God. He has a lot of problems, which is actually pretty good for us to look at David and say, wow, God, if you will use David and you say he's a man after your heart, you can use me. And that's the really good news. When we look at the Bible and we look at these characters in the Bible and their problems that they had, and we look at ourselves and say, God, if you could use them, you might just be able to use me. Yeah, he was chosen of God long time ago. Chosen of God. You know, we have Noah. Noah preached the gospel, built an ark, saved the world, and the first thing he did after he gets off the ark, well, he, he gives sacrifices, yeah. but the first thing we get told of about him is he gets drunk. Yeah. Plans of well, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we look at Abraham. Abraham had a problem with lying, too. He kept call, telling everybody that Sarah was his sister so that they wouldn't yeah. kill him. Uh, you know, and so we see these men of God having some serious character flaws, all right? We see Joseph. Now, Joseph was a pretty good, good guy, but he had a prideful streak in him a mile long, which got him in trouble, and he's got his brothers to sell him into slavery, which God used to rescue them. But even then, we look at how deceptive Joseph was with his brothers. You know, you're spies. I'm not going to tell you who I am, but you're spies. I'm going to keep one of you here and gives them back their money, and then chases them around and brings them back. You know, he had a little, bit of pro, you know, a little bit of no problem with lying as well. Uh, you look at Moses. Moses was a murderer. Yeah. And you really look at his, his uh, pedigree, he was also a very angry individual. He was angry a lot with the children of Israel. You know, comes off the mountain, and they're, and they're you know, probably justifiably angry in this case because they're, they're having a great big orgy at the bottom of Mount Sinai and he smashes the Ten Commandments that, Jesus, that God had ridden up on the mountain with his own finger and he smashes something that precious. <laughs> you know, he hit the, hit the rock three times when he was supposed to speak to it. Wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. So we look at these people. Nineveh was saved by Jonah who was trying to run away from God. Uh, you know, so we look at these things. You look at, you look at the Apostle Peter, who, who I, I love it on the Mount of Transfiguration when he says, you know, it says, you know, shall we build booths for you because he didn't know what to say? Now, it really said he should have shut up because he didn't know what to say. But Peter did what most of us do. We don't, want to, we don't know what to say, so we say whatever pops into our brain. And, you know, sometimes it's much better just to be silent. Uh, God, I don't know what to say, so I'm not going to say anything until you tell me <laughs> what to say. And this is something that's really important if you ever are going to give counsel to somebody. If you don't know what to say and it's not biblical, shut up. <laughs> pray with the person. Don't talk. To, yeah, your, your best thing would be just to stop and pray. You know, let's pray. And praying will buy you two things. Number one, it calls on God to help. Yeah. Buys you time to think. 
And usually God will step in, in that pro during that period of time. And if you're going to give counsel, make sure that it's godly, biblical counsel. Too many times in churches especially, we give counsel that is not godly. It's worldly. And it's so easy to give worldly counsel because it sounds so good. All right? David has no problems lying because he's saying what he would do in the world and people believe it. And he has no problem with it. You know, uh, Solomon is going to just have such, such lust that he takes every woman that he, that he sees that he likes. I'm king, I can take them. And, and God had told him in Deuteronomy that the king is not to take many wives. He's not to take, take uh, horses. He's not, you know, not to do these things that make him trust in himself. God already knew the heart. Why did he know the heart? Because he knows that when power comes, then people get corrupted. And it almost always happens when people get any kind of power, any, any form of power, it goes to their head. It would be so funny when I would promote somebody. They're a good leader. People are following them. And you give them a title. And instantly, for a period of time, they become Hitler. Or Napoleon or whatever. You know, It's like, you're going to do what I said because I've got, I've got the title. I've got the power. And you have to take them as a good manager. You have to take them aside and say, look, you're a good leader. You don't need to hammer them, be hammering them with the title. Just continue doing what got you here in the first place. But you know, that is our human fleshly nature. I've got a little bit of power. I can, I can boss people around. Well, what God knew with kings that it would go, really go to their head because that's a lot of power. Uh, and as the adage goes, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the more power you get, the more corrupted you can get. Not absolutely necessarily, but probably 90% of the time, it will corrupt. And we see it in even our elected officials. You know, they start out good. They start out with great plans. And the, more, the longer they stay in position and the more power they get within their position, the more they just fall into the system and get used to the system and get corrupted by the system. And this is something that David is coming into. You know, he's having to learn. Achish has given him a little bit, of, little bit of rope. But you know, one of the things in here that Achish came to him and said, okay, David, where were you, where, where were you raiding today? Achish has had his eye on David. Maybe not watching him every moment, but he's watching the comings and goings of David. He knew that David and his men rode out. And, <laughs> uh, well, he said he did the south of the south of Judah, so uh, he rode west instead of east. <laughs> but he could have gone south when he left the left the town, uh, and then took a road off to the to the to the west instead of the east. Uh, and Achish is trusting him; he's, he is keeping tabs on David. You know, so, and he sees that David, he get, hears word that David is ridden out with his 600 men, and all of a sudden David has come back with lots of animals. <laughs> all right, hey David, where did you go today? Uh, and David, you know, says, well, you know, I went against Judah and the Jezreelites and the Canaanites, which are down into the, in the south part of Judah. And so he goes, okay. Now, why was Achish even questioning David? I don't know. 
He's not stupid. You may not trust David in some completely yet. Uh, David's raided someplace. Maybe he's gotten word that the southern part of his country's been raided. Uh, you know, and he might be one, uh, David, uh, where did you go today? Uh, and David's going to lie. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of the things I'm looking at, the more I look at David's life, the more I see how, how often he lied. It's like, it's, you know, like, wow, Dave, God, you could use David who lied all the time. Yeah. Uh, and David's going to lie even through the kingdom while he's king. And when he sins and when he's doing other things, he's... You know, lying comes easy to David. Battle comes easy to David. Shedding blood comes easy to David, which is why God said, I'm not going to let you build a temple to me, Solomon, because your hands are full of blood. Not, and I don't think it was just the battles that David did. I, you know, it was Uriah. You know, it was getting ready to move against uh, Nabal and, you know, uh, other people that he was always ready to you know, he was ready to strike people's heads off and then ask questions. You know, in our day and age, we, we say shoot first and ask questions later. Well, David was that way. We're going to chop off all the heads. We're going to attack. And then, then we'll go find out what the answers are. Uh, that's David. You know, very quick. Quick to move. Usually righteous in his motions, but not always. Yeah, and this is one of these things when we look at this and David's ready, is being watched by Achish, he's being asked. And like I say, in this case, Achish knew that he rode away. I believe Achish probably got reports that somebody had raided his southern border. Uh, David's saying, okay, I went to the south of, of uh, Judah, not, not the south of Philistia. <laughs> and there's nothing, it's one of those things where I, I'm not sure that he believed him, but later on it says that he does. All right, uh, and it says here that David killed all the men and women so that nobody could report on what he did. That's pretty funny. You know, that is brutal. Yeah. Okay, this isn't this isn't like when the children of Israel were told to go into Canaan and kill everybody because of how evil they were. Okay, that was God's retribution upon the people because of their evil sinful nature, God said, I want you to kill everybody because if you don't, they're going to pollute you, which is exactly what they did, the ones that they didn't kill. The Canaanites and, the, and all these different groups that were left polluted Israel and brought them into idol worship. David doesn't have that command under, under him. He's just killing people for self-preservation. If I kill everybody, there's nobody who can go to Achish and say, David did this. All right. This goes into David's lying, lying attitudes and self-preservation mode. When you look at something like this, it almost surprises me that he didn't kill Saul on the opportunities that he had. He's bloodthirsty. He's willing to do what's best for himself. But he likes Saul. Well, he likes Saul. He, I think he liked Saul. I think he did. But he also understood that God put Saul in place. And that tempered his reaction against Saul. Everybody else, he felt he could do anything he wanted unless, unless he felt that they were God's, you know, God's people, God's anointed people. But this just shows you the type of man David is. He's a warrior. You know, he's, he's, for all practical purposes, we would call him a terrorist. If he, if he wasn't a hero of the, of the, 
of the Bible, in these actions, we would say he was being a terrorist. He's riding out from his town, destroying whatever gets in his way in Philistia and justifying it because he's doing it for God. Okay, because I'm sure he's putting this, I'm doing this for God. God, I'm going to have the kingdom. I'm going to make sure these Philistines are put, into, put in place. And it doesn't say he's doing it, but I'm sure he was thinking, I'm doing this for God. I'm doing it for my future kingdom. You know, I'm sure he justified it. Uh, you know, when I get to be king, I won't have to worry about it. I've, 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 done, I've done a lot of wiping out of the area. Uh, and, you know, and he says that he killed all these people. And it said that he... And the second half of verse 11 said, So did David, and so was his manner all the while he dwelt in the king, country of the Philistines. Okay? A year and four months of riding into the countryside of, Phil of the Philistines, wiping out a village and riding back. Now, this makes me wonder about what kind of king Achish was in the first place. You know, there has to be a point where you start drawing a circle about all these destroyed cities and say, okay, what is close to them? Yeah, Ziglag. Yeah, yeah. Ziglag is awfully close to all these destroyed places, you know, uh, but he never did. I believe that God was protecting David even though David was living in a sinful lifestyle. <laughs> you know, and this is the thing of that it can be happen. God oftentimes protects his children even when we're being stupid. <laughs> yeah. 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 And there's oftentimes when we do something when we go, God, you were so gracious. You didn't wipe me out. You didn't let me get wiped out. You didn't let me get hurt. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But how many times do we look back and say, God, you know, I didn't deserve your mercy and grace over all that. You know, even when we're walking with him, I'm not even talking about before we get saved. You know, we look at that and say, wow, God, how did you ever protect me during all of that? But you know, after we're saved, there's so many times when we look back and say, God, I just don't understand how you had mercy and grace on me when I did that. You know, when I was hurting my testimony and your testimony amongst the people, you protected me during that. David is being protected. Achish should have been able to see, see David for what he was, but we, later on we're going to see that Achish's generals don't trust David. Yeah. I think some of them have put that little circle around Ziglag and said, there's a lot of damage around Ziglag and David's getting rich and not trusting him. Plus they're getting ready to, to attack the main <laughs> army of Israel and David is an Israelite, you don't usually, you know, so they didn't believe that either. But, you know, we see here for over a year, David's habit is to ride out into the country, destroy a village completely, and come back with the spoils. Now, I don't know how many villages he attacked in, each, you know, in, in a week or, or during that year, but you know, even if it was one a month, you know, that's 16 different villages that would have been destroyed. And I have a feeling it was more than one a month. It was probably more like one every week that he and his men went out and destroyed. It sounds like what now is happening, like a serial killer, you know, and how he still had God's heart, you know, and how I can see some things, how things are, like you say, he did that, it's, it's just repeating. 
in, in our day and age, David would have been called a terrorist. Yeah. And technically he was. He has no allegiance to Israel at this point in time. He has no allegiance to anybody but supposedly God. And you'll note one thing that's very important during all of this period of time that we see. We note no prayer. No prayer during this time. Before, he was always asking God, what should I do? Should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? We're going to see when he becomes king, he goes back into this prayer, prayer motif where he goes to God. Last couple of chapters, we're not seeing him go to God. We're seeing David just living out pretty much, like I say, as a terrorist. What's good for me? And we're not seeing any prayer. And I'm not saying he did pray during this time or anything, but there's no... It's not notice on it. It's not mentioned. And that was a big part of David's life before these last couple chapters and will be a big part later on when he becomes king. But right now we're seeing David pretty much living in the, in the pit of the flesh. What's in it for me? What's best for me? And it started with running away from, from Saul and running to the enemy. And this is the problem. When we turn our back on God and run to the world for our support system, we're going to do dumb things. We're going to get caught, caught up in it because the world's counsel is never going to be good. And our flesh is going to dwell and, and enjoy the world's counsel, at least initially. And it's going to think that it's good. And then we're going to get down into it and Number one, we're never happy being back in that area, and we're no fit in that area, and our, we have a battle. Our flesh and our spirit will be battling. And this is why anytime you get backslidden, you're never going to feel at home being backslidden. Even if you go back to whatever your favorite sin was in the, before you got saved, whatever that might be. Anybody who's backslidden knows what it is. Uh, for me, it was the workaholism, and to get back into a workaholic position does not, there's no pleasure in it, because I know I'm not supposed to be there. You know, uh, you know for some that's alcohol or drugs or, or whatever it might be, you know, uh, lust, money, whatever it might be. You know, and you go, this is just not doing it. I think David was getting, that, getting to that place as well. He's just not getting it. But the other side of it is when you start going into this backslidden state is sometimes you get trapped. You just don't know how to get out of it. Or let's, say, let's put it better. You don't want to get out of it because getting out of it means to confess, <laughs> repent, and humble yourself. And the flesh does not like to be humbled and repent and confess. The last thing you want to do is go, you know, hey guys, I really have messed up. I shouldn't have been doing this, this, and this. And... God is, I've asked God to forgive me and I'm now asking you to forgive me. We don't like doing that and yet true victory comes through confession. The true victory will be I have really messed up and confessing not necessarily to everybody you know, but at least somebody needs to be confessed to because Satan really enjoys things staying in the dark. And he uses anything that's in the dark against us. If you were to fall into pornography and nobody ever knew, and you go, okay, God, I've got victory over it. 
but you never confess it, you never share it with another closely trusted individual, Satan uses that kind of thing. If it's, if it's theft, if, if it's drugs, you know, you know, you get people who are closet drinkers. Uh, talking to an individual just this last week who said that their, their child was an alcoholic, but never, nobody ever knew it because all he did was drink at home. And nobody knew that, you know, that, that they were an alcohol, alcoholic. If he had just been able to confess and be able to admit it, he probably could have gotten some victory over it. But Satan loves when things are left in the dark. I personally believe that we all should have somebody in our life that we trust well enough to make it out in the open. Now, there could be some possible sin out there that is just so bad <laughs> that, no, you're not going to tell it to somebody. But I think if you have somebody who's truly an accountability party that you fully can trust, then it would probably be better to talk to them and have somebody else who's aware of, of it. Because that gives you the ability to turn to that person later on and say, I really need help because I'm struggling with that area in my life that we've talked about. And what ends, this is what I'm saying, we need somebody like that because what ends up happening is if it stays hidden, Satan uses it against us. But by speaking it to somebody else, it does open up a power of forgiveness and shining the light on it. If something does not have the light shown on it, it holds a lot of power over you. Does that mean on all your sins? Not necessarily. I'm, I'm talking more about the big, the, the thing that really, something that's really big that has you that maybe nobody else knows about it. You know, I use pornography because it's an easy one that men get hooked onto all the time, and especially in our day, you know, it used to be you had to go to the corner drugstore or the red light district to be able to go get your pornography. Now all you could do is turn on a TV, you know, half the TV stations on the, on the you know, cable band or turn on your computer or your, or your cell phone or, you know, it is very easy to get, for men to get really pulled into that and they might confess it, but if it's not brought into the light, there's a problem and, and it'll eventually come out one way or the other. God says that everything comes out. If we don't confess our sins and deal with it, he will shout the sin from the rooftop and we have seen it in many high-profile evangelists who think they're getting away with their adultery and their fornication and all of that. And if they will not confess it, they will not deal with it, God shouts it out to the world. You know, and that's not the place you want to be. And I've said this over and over again. How much shouting will it be? Well, how much, how much influence do you have? If you don't have a lot of influence, you won't have a lot of people that know about your sin being shouted, but everybody you have influence over it will, which is probably your family that will hear about it. If you have lots of influence, the louder it will be shouted. Yeah. And this is the thing that we want to be careful of. We are trying to protect ourselves sometimes saying, well, God, I'm not going to share this with anybody. It would be better off having a close friend. And I, and I have about five other men that I know well enough that they know my weaknesses, even the ones nobody else knows, and I know theirs. And I'm not going to share their weaknesses. They're not going to share my weaknesses. But, you know, if I have a trouble, all I got to do is call them and say, you know, I'm really having a trouble in this area of my life and get them to start praying. 
you know, because there's strength in that. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of it. And when we're struggling, you want to be able to get others. Does that mean I have to share every single sin I've ever committed? No. But if I have an area where I keep falling, I'm having trouble in this area of my life and I need somebody to pray and help me through this area. We need that as brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, that doesn't mean you stand up in the middle of church and say, yeah, I have this problem. <laughs> There's the old, an old joke about three pastors who get together and you know, they all share with each other their problems. One guy goes, you know, I've got a real problem. I, you know, I lust after people. You know, and the other guy goes, you know, I've got a real problem. I lie about everything. And this other guy goes, I've got a really bad problem. I, I'm, I'm a big gossip and I just can't wait to get out of this group. You know, so you want to be careful who you share things with. And you also want to have people who will speak the truth to you. Okay, not okay, you know, I understand that, you know, but you know that that's not what you're supposed to do. And that is part of that group that you'll get that will pray for you. Not, not that they're going to say it's okay even. They may even come in and say, you know, I'm noticing things that seem to be you're heading in the wrong way. And you're not going to really like hearing it at the time, but you know, but you've given you basically give them permission to be able to talk that way, because you you know each other that well. So there's a difference between like a sin that you've committed in the past that you no longer do, and a sin that you might fall into. You know, let's say you were an alcoholic and you've not had a problem with alcohol, but you're also not even hiding it. Yeah. You know, that's probably not one that you're necessarily because that's not one. But you know, again, you're. You know, but you're sitting there and you know you're struggling in some area and maybe nobody knows about it. And that's why I kind of use pornography or, or maybe closet drinking or something, you know, something that you can maybe get away with and people aren't going to necessarily notice. Uh, you know, those you want to share with people and say, you know, these are the things so that you can come up with. And again, it's not a whole group of people. It's going to be somebody that you developed a close relationship, maybe only two or three people that you have that kind of relationship with. And you just say, you know, I just want to have this relationship, you know, that I can just talk to you. I can call you up and ask for prayer. And when they know your problem, you don't even have to go along. You know, you know that area that I'm having trouble with, I really need you to pray with because I'm struggling today about it. You know, uh, I'm, you know I'm really having trouble with pride, whatever, you, whatever that issue might be, you know, or anger. Uh, I really need somebody to, to put up with it. David doesn't have anybody like that in his life. He has lots of areas where he has trouble in. And then verse 12 says, And Achish believed David, saying, He hath made him, his people Israel utterly to abhor him. Therefore he is my servant forever. Yeah. He is absolutely convinced that David is raiding Israel. And he's probably thinking, you know, that David's not killing every single person, so somebody's escaping and telling King Saul and the rest of the people, David's, David's destroying us. Again, I don't know why he believed it. I think God was on David's side on this whole issue, protecting him to a bit, because it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, this is just one of those things where you look at it and go, how in the world could this happen? And like I say, the biggest thing on here that really makes me wonder is David took the apparel. He's taken the clothing. You know, and for us, we look at Middle Easterners and we all see funny looking robes on everybody. But if you look closely at each one of those robes, there's different, different shapes, different designs, different, different uh, patterns, uh, weaves and stuff. To them, they know the difference. They know 
which each, each uh, robe and turban and everything belong to. It's just like in Europe. The Europeans know other European countries by the no shape of the nose and the cheeks and the ears and the, and the eyes that we would never even notice. But they notice. Uh, you know, that's one thing. When, they, when it puts the apparel in there, it's like, I don't understand this. You know, uh, you know the rest of it, <laughs> they're just sheep. They're just cows. They're, they're camels. You know, that's not a, not a big deal. But God is blinding Achish's eyes toward David. Most likely so that David can be used later on to deliver Israel during this big battle. Okay. God always does things that are for good for his, for his children. And sometimes we look at it and say, God, I just don't understand how that could be, <laughs> be for good. I don't even know how you could use something like this for good. And yet God does. God does what he's going to do. And he's going to use David later on to help defeat Achish and make him king over Israel. And we see this process coming in. And but we also see that David's needing a little bit of work. And he's, later on, he's going to have some good prophets and everybody teaching him and, and helping him get back on the straight and narrow. Right now, he doesn't have a good prophet. He doesn't have any Levites with him, apparently. And he's making bad decisions. And this is something that's very important for us. We need to stay in touch with God's word and with his teachers. Okay. Why do we stay in touch with the teachers? Because we all need to be taught. And this is why I share with you all, I listen to Christian radio and preachers all the time. I need to be taught. I need to be challenged. I need to have my thoughts shaken up occasionally. Uh, you know, well, I'm not sure what that guy said is right or not. And especially if the Spirit's telling me it's not bad, and I'm going, that's not what I believe, and I'm all of a sudden having to go, I grab my paper, my pen, and my car, and I write down a quick note to, so I can look something up and go back and look it up. And it's an amazing thing to me how many times these guys on the radio all talk about the same thing all week long. Yeah. You know, and it's right what I need to be hearing that week, which is very irritating when all of them are talking about the same thing. You know, uh, and it's kind of an amazing thing. You know, I'm sure these guys all get on the phone together as they're getting ready to put their weekly broadcast off and say, we all need to put this on so we're all talking about the same thing. <laughs> no, that's the Holy Spirit doing it, I know. Uh, but most everything is, is a rerun. And some of the guys aren't even alive anymore, so they're definitely not planning these, these shows. David is being protected by God, and God's going to use him. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, we ask you to go with us as we go about our business. Guide and lead us. Help us, Lord, to listen to your still, small voice. And Lord, for anybody who needs to find somebody, help them find a person that they can just spend time talking with once a week, once a month, whatever it might be, that can get to know and share their complete heart with and open up completely with. And we just thank in Jesus' name, amen.